0: with idols, eat food is really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, or no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple... Uh, a wonderful passage, um, and a very uh, challenging passage to understand, and one in which we understand it uh, can even be uh, very difficult to apply it um, without falling into other errors. So I thought I'd, I'm a big, I always like uh, pictures, big perspective. So, from God's perspective, that which is right and that which is loving are the same. There's no difference. You know, God is, is completely righteous, God is completely loving. Those are the same. There's one circle. There's not like some things are righteous, some things are loving. It, to Him, it's just always right, always loving. That's just who He is. But from our perspective, as we go through, through life, we can, we can see something as right and yet um, see it as right distinct from what is loving. And so, so I think what Paul's doing here is trying to help people expand their understanding of rightness to include what it means to love. Okay? Okay. He's fallen that a little bit. So, um, technically, like if you keep the Ten Commandments, you're loving people, right? But there can be um, a way in which we do the right thing, as far as like keeping some moral command or law. Uh, but we might apply that as we're interacting with other people in a way that's not loving. And so he's trying to help them understand that. Uh, And so Paul's going to say things here that just, it just really complicates life. I mean, just tell me what's right, and then tell me to do it. (laughs) And Paul's like, "Mm, it, it doesn't always work out that way. You can be right, and you can be very wrong at the same time. So that's what he's saying. All right, questions, I hope that just raises some thoughts in your mind as we go forward. Remember last week we talked about food offered to idols, that there were various levels. I think it's very important you keep that in mind. So uh, everyone agrees that to actually be engaged in idol worship is wrong. Okay, that's bad behavior. But there was a question, uh, could, you, could you go to a company meeting that was meeting at the temple? And possibly at that meeting, partake of some food offered to idols. Right? That would be one level. Another level would be, um, could you be invited over to someone's house and they may have gone to the market and gotten food that was left over from food offered to idols. that was another level. Right? So you can see these these different levels. Um, Maybe another level. Could you go to the market and buy food? That may have been offered to idols. You can see how these different. And Paul's basically saying um, the the first level is a no no. You know, don't don't be engaged in idol worship. Um, But the rest of those are, in his thinking, um, open for discussion. Okay? Um, But even though they may be open for discussion, any one of them, you might have a right to do it. You are full, fully in your rights to be able to do that. It could be against love to do it. That's what he's saying. Okay, so, um, opinion, yeah. In your example, how can you even know? I mean, if you're going to the market to buy food, or you know, how, how can you even know all those things? Well, that's going to be. <laughs> That's going to be, uh, so some people, right, some people would just assume it. If there's even a chance, you shouldn't even do it. You see how the, like, if I feel like, man, you could possibly be eating food that's offered to idols. Even if you don't know it, you could be doing it. And therefore, I could try to place onto your conscience the need to never eat food offered to any, you know, never go to the market. Cut your own food. And that's literally what the, what the Jewish people did that's where you get the kosher laws right they have been handled in a kosher way a way that's appropriate right so you don't have to know in order to possibly be sinning right and that's kind of but Paul is going to make an argument I don't know if it's right in this chapter but later on he'll even say um well maybe it's in Romans he says um well if you don't know don't ask. <laughs> but then if somebody tells you, then you're like, oh, maybe I should uh, back off. And so it gets confusing. It really does get confusing. But I, I think uh, in our own lives, it can get confusing in a myriad of other ways as well. And, and we'll try to get to those in a little bit. But we'll try to stick here with the uh, text for a little while. So let's, try to, let's just try to walk through some of the theology beginning in verse 4. So number one point, idols have no true existence. That's his, that's his number one point. That's his, Idols do not exist. So when you, you hear astrology, Today, and uh, and there's somehow spiritual beings ordering the universe it's false they don't exist period and and his point is that there is only one God and he's the one that controls all things so period that's that's his point Um, turn over to chapter 10 for a moment 1 Corinthians 10, and might need somebody to read this for me if you would, Barry, bring this down. 1 Corinthians 10, 14 through 20. Somebody want to read that? Raise your hand, he can give you the mic. There you go. 1 Corinthians 10, 14 through 20. Oh boy, she volunteered her husband. Good job. (laughs) Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel, are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. Okay, so I just want you to hear that because Paul, in the very same letter, talks about idol worship as the worship of demons. So it's not like he doesn't think anything's going on there. But he does not consider a demon to be God or a God. They're just a created being, like an elephant or like a human or like an ant. They're of a different spiritual order, but they're just created beings. Okay, There's only one God, meaning one uncreated being, and that is the God of the universe. So when you go to an idol and you, 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 you start attributing to this idol as a symbol of a God, he says it's ridiculous. It just, there's no, no, no substance to that. There's nothing to it. Even though he would very much recognize that there is demonic activity trying to fool you into thinking that there is a god, right? So I just want you to see that tension there. That he's uh, and we deal with that in our own lives, right? Do we really want to be go to? Tarot card readers and, and astrology should we should we you know be active in those kind of things? No, we should not. On the one level, because it's not anything, but on another level, it almost involves you in the deceit that demons do to try to get you to, to take your focus off of the God and put it onto something else. Well, you're, you're really endorsing it just by participating. Right. Believe it, you participating in course. Right. Yes. So there may be spiritual beings fueling and deceiving us to idolatry, but the world is not run by a plurality of gods. It's just that simple. That's the truth. Um, Look at verse 5 back in 1 Corinthians 8. What is Paul acknowledging in verse 5? So this is his first point. There's no true existence. What's his point in verse five? Yeah, so the unbelieving world could be talking about their deities, but it also could just be talking about the different forces in the world, right? There are there are many lords in the world, many forces that are at work, and various things. Uh, The demons think this way. I mean, not the demons. The the pagan world thinks this way, but it's not true for us. Okay, They live like these things are true, even though they're not true. Uh, I love verse 5 and 6 together, how it brings us to a, a belief in the Trinity, or at least the full deity of christ how do you think verse five and six is a little aside uh but that paul does you see him talking about and arguing not really arguing but assuming the trinity at least equality between the father and the son how does he do it here Right, So, but doesn't that sound like two? One God, one Lord. So You can see if you just have that, you might think, well, maybe the one Lord is underneath the one God. Maybe they're distinct from the one God. Are, and it doesn't seem like he's saying that they're the same thing. They're not the same person, it doesn't seem like.
1: Mm-hmm. So they're both uh, engaged
0: in creation. Yeah, now, that's exactly what I want Susan, I want to focus on that. So when they describe the Father, they describe Him as from whom are all things and for whom we exist. How do they describe Jesus? Through whom and through whom. Yeah. So it's, it, it's not exactly the same, but it's pretty much... If you're telling Jesus that you exist for Him, and you're telling God that you exist for Him, they have to be one God. You see how that there... Uh, if you're saying that your existence comes from God, or it's through the Lord, it's basically saying that He's your Creator. So in, He's describing the Lord and describing the Father in the same, with the same words. Which means that they are equal with one another. And yet He still doesn't just merge them together into one person, does He? It's very clear that you've got one God and one Lord. So he's talking about the persons as if they're different. I'm, I understand this is all kind of tricky, but this is, why the, this is why the Trinity took so long for people to develop, because they'd look at passages like this and they'd say, well, is the Son under, the Lord, under God, or is he equal? Or? So they're fighting through this. And I think that Paul understands the Trinity, even though he doesn't write out a strong doctrine of the Trinity. Um, he just assumes it. Questions on that? Clear as mud. You find that kind of stuff all over the place, though. When you talk about Jesus, sometimes you think, "Oh, it's, he's, he's underneath God," and then you think, "Oh, no, he's equal with God." You know, it's it's hard to. You just see it all over the place. And I, so when somebody comes along to you and says they don't believe the Trinity, you just you have to have this understanding that it's all over, uh, even in places that they're not explicitly uh, making an argument for it. Paul's not even. Paul's not even uh, making an argument for the Trinity here, but he is very clear that there's only one God, and somehow that one, the one Lord, does not screw up that there's one God. There's still only one God. Yes, Deb. We can only get to God through Jesus. He's a little bit confusing. Jesus is our mediator. He's our mediator, and yet he's. Yes. Well, it's all, listen, people say that if you try to understand the Trinity, you lose your mind, right? Uh, and it's true. I, this is, these don't completely make sense to us. But I just want to show you, just wanted to bring it up that the Trinity uh, is really the foundation of your salvation. If the Trinity doesn't work, then you really don't have salvation. So anyway, okay. What does he say then in verse 7, getting back to the real issue of idol. Uh, partaking in some form of food sacrificed to idols. What does he say in verse 7? It's really more like it's dangerous for the weak because their conscience is weak. Okay. Weak, strong. So the strong know point number one. There's no such thing as true a substance to the idol worship. The weak do not know this. They don't know point one. Okay, it says not all possess this knowledge. Now, in my thinking, this is very important. <laughs> Why not just tell him, Paul? <laughs> just tell him. <laughs> he, didn't you just say it to point one? Now everybody does have this knowledge, therefore. you know. <laughs> Go ahead, Ken.
1: The issue of knowledge
0: between verse one, where it says, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And then in verse seven, However, there is not in everyone that knowledge, for some would so on. So in verse 1, he's, the, the Corinthians were all claiming to have some knowledge. So he's, he's actually, you can see it in verse 1, it's like a quotation. We all have knowledge. You know, he's, he's actually feeding back against them what the Corinthians are claiming, that we all have knowledge. And he's later on going to say, oh, we have a word from the Lord, whether it be tongues or prophecy or these spiritual gifts. So we all got knowledge, you know. And so what he's going to do is, oh, yeah, but your knowledge is really deficient, is what he's going to tell them. But in verse 7, he's actually talking about these strong people are criticizing the weak people and telling them, you just don't know the truth. Yes. So, um, I'm going to write down here conscience, because that's important. So, a person's conscience, well, let me throw it out to you guys, instead of spoon-feeding you. What is conscience? Sense of right and wrong. A sense of of right and wrong moral compass moral compass confidence right and
2: wrong What'd you say confidence
0: Confidence in what's right or wrong Confidence in right or wrong okay Week would be feeling of guilt Okay so you got there's feelings of guilt yeah Oh, there you're getting at it. So, so it's it is a it is um, heart plus mind, in, in the way we understand mind, our thinking, uh, equals conscience. It's a combination of that, isn't it? Oh, explain that a little bit more, then Howard. I don't know if. I- sanctification process. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, you know, when we're, we're early on, there's a big difference between, you know, what we're going to work out in the daily workings of our lives. Uh-huh. And, Hold on a second. And, you know, Where's that <laughs> microphone? I'm like, hey, here you go. I'll give it to him. You don't have to repeat yourself. Just, just continue. I don't to continue, but there's a difference, and... and Hopefully, with advancing maturity of the faith and increasing sanctification, those things come greater in line with one another, mm-hmm. where what we, what we believe, what we act out in our lives, our heart, our confidence, really is in line with the truth of God's word. Okay. The farther apart those are, you know, the more our conscience
1: should be pricked.
0: Yes. I, I think you're right on, Howard. So- the
1: more they're in line, the more confidence we can have.
0: Yes, hold on, Ken. So let me just explain this. So let's say uh, let's say uh, Clark Irwin grew up in church, and when he went to church, you always wore a tie, and you wore a suit if you could. And to not wear a suit to church by the way, I got one today, so just you know. <laughs> To not wear a suit to church meant that you didn't love God because you didn't care enough to give your best to come to church. I mean, is that out of the question that some people at least felt that way when you were growing up, Clark? Very clear, right? So um, I can tell you from this, from looking at you, most of you do not feel that way. So, um, Marcus. Why aren't you wearing a tie? Did you somehow go, oh, I'm not giving God my best today because I'm not wearing a tie? Didn't even cross your mind, did it? No, his dad didn't wear one. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is what I'm getting at, though. So, so um, in, in Marcus's mind, in his conscience, his conscience, there's two options that could happen. On the one hand... His conscience could just be seared from watching his dad never wear a suit his whole life. And therefore, we need to reinform him of his conscience. We need to help him to know that, hey man, it is important to actually care about what you wear when you come to church. Okay, That could be one option. Or, what you wear is not as important... God's much more concerned about the heart, let's say. And we need to help Clark understand that if he doesn't wear a tie, he's not in sin. You see how that can go both ways, right? And how would you know which is which? By the truth of God's word, by the, by the, you know, the knowledge here, okay? So let's just say then, for the sake of argument, Marcus is in the right. God does not care as much about what you wear outwardly. He's only concerned about the heart. And I hope Marcus, when he woke up today, said, Lord, you want my heart to be right with you and come to church. Okay. But then he's talking to Clark, and Clark's like, man, it just does not feel right for me to not wear a suit every day. Now, obviously, Clark doesn't feel that way because he doesn't wear a suit every time he comes to church. But he does have a tie on today, so that's good. Um, for, my, for my illustration, I mean. So, so if, I, if Cl- Marcus goes to him and says... Clark, you're my elder, but you're just wrong in this. Take your tie off. Don't wear your tie. You don't need to wear your tie in church. God cares about your heart. And Clark says, that just doesn't feel right. Clark could be convinced in his mind through theology, but man, he's grown up. Everything that, every like, picture of growing up is that people wear suits and ties when they come to worship, and so to not do that just doesn't feel right. Right? So you could tell him in his mind all the time to not he doesn't have to wear a tie, but in his heart he's still feeling like there's something not right about that. That's And that might be what you're talking about, Howard, trying to bring those back in line with each other rather than have them separate. But until Clark actually believes in his gut, not just in his mind, but in his heart that this is, this is, it's okay to not wear a tie, Marcus shouldn't be forcing him to not wear a tie, trying to push that upon him. In fact, Marcus is actually treating Clark wrongly to do that. And to actually ask Clark to do something against his conscience is in a form of destroying his conscience because you live by faith using your conscience. That's how you live by faith. Oh, I think this is wrong, Claude. Help me to do what's right. I don't want to do what's wrong. So that conscience is a part of who we are. Not an anywhere issue in in, uh, Marcus's, but he has to... um, Informing the heart, the gut feelings takes time. This is very clear, accurate in like alcohol. Um, you know, I grew up in a home where every problem that occurred in my home had something to do with alcohol and the abuse of alcohol, and so I, I didn't want anything to do with it for the first ten years of my Christian life. I never touched alcohol. In fact, my whole Christianity was like I'm, a part of it was I don't drink alcohol. You can ask my pa- ask my family this. You know, it's just, I didn't. It would have gone against my conscience to even do that. As time has gone on, and as I've looked at Scripture, and I've understood a moderate use of alcohol is a good thing, and da-da-da-da, i have I've come to the place where, yeah, I can partake of alcohol. But man, if somebody would force me to do that, or try to, like, impose that upon me at a young age, it would have, it would have destroyed me. You see how that, are you following where we're getting at now? How there's a, the conscience... Is really what you're feeling? Gut down, gut down in your gut down below. Yes, Anne. Is that different than personal conviction? Uh, okay. Uh, yes and no. I can answer that. But uh, so is that different than personal conviction? I believe convictions are are the are you trying to look at the truth of Scripture? to formulate and to move and to, uh, as I think Howard said, bring your gut feelings into line with what God's Word is. So I think that is convictions. And I think over time, you're developing those convictions. Um, sometimes making you more um, more strict, so like... Uh, Marcus might over time develop the conviction that even though that wearing a suit is not necessary, he, he might develop the conviction that God does care to some degree about our outward actions and therefore he should not come to church looking like a slob, right? And so he might develop that conviction over time. Um, but it could be also informing Clark that he could loosen up a bit and that's not the most important thing. I don't know. So you inform it with truth. But, but the conviction is, is when you believe that uh, you're, you're, you're settled in your mind that what you believe is actually true. And I would say that with alcohol with me. The more I've read Scripture, I've had this settled position of this is God's opposed to drunkenness. He's not opposed to all alcohol. And that's been a conviction that has developed over time. So Debbie and then Nathan. Go ahead. Hold on. Where's the microphone? There you go. Right here, Debbie's right here. There you go.
2: If you were still living in a home where it was a problem, yes. alcohol was a problem. Yes. Would you still feel the way you do right now, or would you feel like you should abstain for,
1: from it?
0: Uh, I, there are plenty of situations. I would feel the way I do right now, but there are plenty of situations where I abstain from alcohol. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you,
2: if you I, I worked.
0: In that same home. Right. That's what I'm saying. It, it,
2: and there
0: was a problem. Uh, I know that my one of my best friends in the world, Art Dunn, does not drink alcohol at all. I don't think I've ever went out to eat and drank alcohol with Art. You know, he knows that I drink alcohol sometimes, but I don't try to, in a way, tempt him. And I restrain from doing that out of respect for him. Or maybe out of um, not wanting him to fall into sin. So yes, I'm completely for what you're saying in that regards. That you... There was a, a long time that even when I started take, partaking of some alcohol, I was very cautious to not want to partake of alcohol with my dad because I, I knew that there was a lot of struggle there. So over time, that's somewhat changed, um, mainly because I don't see my dad you know, getting drunk all the you time. Know, it's not an issue. But, uh, but I do, there's plenty of situations where you would restrain yourself. And I think Paul uh, says that that's a part of this loving people around you, caring for them. So, Nathan, go ahead.
2: Just two quick comments on a, on a humorous note. Your example of wearing a suit, David Pope, our previous elder, for those that don't know, mm-hmm. um, he worked in a hospital. He wore suit every day. Mm-hmm. So when he came to church, he felt like to, to dress less than what he did on a daily basis was, was not right. Like it bothered his conscience. I used to give him a hard time about it. Of course, he'd give me a hard time about never putting on a tie, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was all in good fun. Um, so that, that is a real, that really happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but my second thought is, do you think that this whole issue of COVID was one of those things that that falls into kind of this example of of conscience yes. and knowledge? Can I move on? And, yes, please. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, almost didn't bring it. But but to me, that's that that's an example that comes to mind. I don't know if it's exactly right or not, but it comes to mind as like one of the biggest tests of something like this.
0: Absolutely. In fact, this is what tore many churches apart, and I think had we understood Paul better, we probably would have been a lot more understanding of one another in this. Um, One thing I'll tell you is that uh, you should be thankful for uh, John Avery, Clark Irwin, Dan Keener, and um, Chilson, Chilson. Uh, and, and Danny and I, too, because... We, Danny and I are the ones who are implementing things, and we, we come at it from completely different perspectives. Uh, Danny's on one side, I'm on the other. And, but as elders, I can tell you, every one of those elders had different positions on this. Everyone, when it came to COVID. And we, we would get in those meetings, and, and somehow we'd have to figure out how do we come out of the meeting still being unified so that the church could be unified, (laughs) Uh, because a lot of churches split. I know elders just leaving, you know, all this kind of stuff. And uh, um, be very thankful that your elders uh, knew enough of the principles of 1 Corinthians 8 that they they live them out um, in their interactions. So does that answer your question? It very much is a big part of this. Go ahead. Yep. Uh, where does <clears throat> excuse me? The fact that we were created in God's image, and we we all have this a priori knowledge that He already imparted to us. Where does that fit into all this? Well, um, with the conscience and everything, yeah. We're we're we were created perfect in knowledge, but due to the fall, we're all fallen in our knowledge, so we all believe lies all the time. That's the whole point of deception. And uh, I think the, the idea that you can know truth is then uh, given back to you um, in, in a perfect sense because of the Holy Spirit, because of regeneration, re, uh, those sorts of things. Um, but that uh, the fact is, we don't, all, we don't all see everything the same way. So we can be looking at the same issue and see it differently. COVID will be an example of that. So I I don't know. I don't want to get too much into philosophical a priori knowledge. I don't think that that's what he's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 8. I don't think that's the issue at all. I think he's talking to believers and even he's recognizing that even believers have consciences that have been wounded by past experience, by the fall, by all sorts of difficult things and just... Telling them the truth doesn't make all things right. That's, I think that's his point. And you, after telling them what's right, if they don't agree with what you just said is right, you have an obligation to not tear them down. That's the point. And that's what I'm saying, that, that right is not as big as love. Now, from God's perspective, right and love are the same. I've said that. But from your perspective, you can say, I know what's right. By golly, I can go and eat that food, whether it's been offered to an idol or not. It doesn't matter. And Paul says, if that's the way you're acting towards your brother, you're in deep, deep trouble. You don't want to know the first thing about love. Because Paul's saying that the brother who is wrong in his conviction as long as he is trying to follow God and trying to walk with God, he's wrong in his conviction. Not not blatant sin like, you know, go commit adultery. But on these issues that we often disagree about, uh, he could be wrong. But you have to be very tender and very compassionate and very much not trying to destroy his conscience. You can work to inform it. You can work to help them... Reason it through, but you should not try to get them to go against their conscience. Because that is not loving, and that is not the way God treats us.
1: <clears throat> yeah. This is a little hard to ask. Um, <laughs> I, no, I, I don't know if you remember. Um, When our son got married, and I called you Mm -hmm. about um, taking part in, it was in a home, not in a mosque, but Mm -hmm. he married a girl from a Muslim family, Mm -hmm. and they were going to have a prayer. And I was so upset that I, I didn't think I could go. We were already up there. We had been to the wedding, which was secular, in an in a arboretum. Mm-hmm. But the prayer was gonna be in their home, and their dad was gonna do it. And so how, I mean, you can tell everybody what you said to me, but.
0: <laughs> you can tell um, them. I don't know, I can't quite remember exactly what I said. You probably remember better than I do. You
1: kinda ask both, Jim and I were on the phone, and I thought I was going to fall apart. Mm -hmm. I didn't think I could Mm -hmm. be there and do it, and I did. Um, You asked Jim, I think, if Laurie weren't going to be a part of this, would you still go? And you kind of assumed, because I would already said I didn't want to go. And... I think at some point you said some I don't know if it was at his idea or did we come up with um well what if could Jim say a prayer.
2: That's our idea.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um that that's where we ended up going but it was tearing me up because I thought I felt like that's mm-hmm denying the Lord to take part in something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's probably the hardest decision we ever made. We Mm -hmm. did go and um, it was a very tender moment that I had with James um, off to the side because I was crying when I got there Mm -hmm. and I said I can't I'm having a hard time with this Mm -hmm. and I told him and um, he said, his answer to me was, I love you, Mom, and I know you pray for me. And he never converted or anything, but, you know, that's kind of one of those instances, like, what's right, what's love, it's hard. I mean, I knew I wasn't in my heart denying the Lord, but Jim was able to pray. hmm So... That that's a real life situation. That's
0: a really good, and and I I don't remember everything I said in that conversation, but I I'm confident that I I probably didn't come down one way or the other. That it would be uh, you'd be wrong for doing one or the other, and, and uh, because I know that I didn't want her, I knew she was struggling in conscience, and there are times that you can do an action even while you're struggling because you're convinced I think this is right, but I'm you know you're just struggling and. I think we give people the freedom to, in that situation to wrestle with some of those things. As long as we think it's not outright sin, as long as we think it's not uh, destroying them, um, you know. So um, that's a great situation, uh, and it just shows the inner turmoil. I think sometimes we can read the text of Scripture and we can think, okay, this is a nice cut, get our things. But in our regular lives, we wrestle with these things. And they're very real uh, struggles that I think that as Christians, we should be sensitive to the struggle to other Christians. And you know what I mean and be like, "I get this, this is really hard, and it may not be even be hard for me, but it was hard for you, right and and that's okay. Um, thank you for i don 't know if uh, you just said it well enough i'm not going to add too much more to that now, if you um, if you are very concerned for somebody's growth in Christ, so let's just say—and this is a hard to get real tangible examples—but let's say, you know, um, someone just turns. Uh, what's the legal age limit to drink now? Twenty-one. Is that it? Twenty-one. It so someone just turns twenty-one and they want to go out with their friends to the bars or something. You, it, technically, it might be okay to go to a bar. The scripture's command is, "Don't get drunk." It's not, "Don't go to a bar," but you might, as an older parent or someone older in the Lord, say that's probably not a good idea. You know, you could you could say that you're putting yourself in too much temptation here. This is not a good thing. So you might encourage that way. So, and Paul does that in other places. If it's if he thinks it's going to destroy the person, then he's he's okay to try to. Encourage them not to do something. But this is a different situation. These are Christians saying, I have a right to do this. You can't tell me what I can't do. See you know how it's different? And there's not really a concern for the other person, it's just what is right for me. I know what is right, and I'm going to do it. And Paul says, That is not godlike. <clears throat> There you go. Pride versus humility. See, because humility is trying to serve the other person. Pride is concerned with what I can, what's right for me.
1: <clears throat>
0: Verse eight, um, this helps us to see that Paul's not talking about true sin. He says, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. Um, food is not the essence of holiness. Now, I know he's not talking about dieting today. Uh, he, he has weight gain and different things not what he's talking about. But, but one way or the other, we should not make the eating of food a big deal. It's far more important to love. Other people than to just be consumed with what you eat or don't eat, and in a world in which we are very much consumed with what we eat and don't eat, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't eat healthy or different things, that is not the primary concern of the scriptures. So, uh, Paul's like, yeah, whatever. You know, he doesn't say, well, if it's you know if it's gluten free, if it's you know if it's this, it's that thing I'm going to eat. He just food is food. You know? Um, so <clears throat> this happens with alcohol in some circles. If some people will say that if you don't partake of alcohol, you don't understand grace. It's actually, in some reformed churches, that's been taught. It's a lie. Not true. You know, uh, I used the example of art the other day a little bit ago. Art understands grace much as I do. You know, he chooses not to partake of alcohol. Good for him. You know, um, this we can tend to think unless you do such and such or don't do such and such that it's a gospel centered thing That that you either don't or do understand the gospel. And Paul is just thinking that is missing the point. I think that's what he says in verse 2. If somebody imagines that he knows something in this way, he does not yet know as he ought. You don't, you don't get it. So in verse 9 he says, Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So in this, this is where he begins to expand and talk about this love. So he's talking about a stumbling block. This is where it gets even more tricky. When we think of stumbling block, here he's talking about not losing your faith entirely. He's just talking about committing a sin. He says, Be careful. You don't want to use your right in a way that could cause your friend to sin. Wait a minute. He just said that eating idols doesn't matter one way or the other. Who cares? Eating food offered to idols doesn't matter. Now he's saying, if you encourage them to eat the idol, and it goes against their conscience, then they might be sinning. Well, that takes it a whole other level, doesn't it? So something in and of itself might be okay, but if it's pushing someone to do what they think is wrong, it's wrong for them. That's strange. So you might be saying, come on, do this activity. And all the while you're trying to say that to them, you're actually causing them to go against their conscience and to sin. That's scary. And look at what he says um, uh, in verse 11. And so, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. Now, he's not just saying they're killed or they're annihilated, but you're actually tearing them down. And then he says, just to top it off, this is the brother for whom Christ died. And you know this, when you go against your conscience, what do you feel? Guilt. Guilt whether there's a direct guilt or not, you still feel it. What comes to mind is Matthew 18.6. Whoever causes one of these little ones to sin. Isn't that interesting? The person who is in the right could actually be terribly in the wrong because he's destroying a fellow brother in Christ. And then in verse 12, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience, there he's talking it's not necessarily complete destruction, when it is weak, who are you really sinning against? Christ. Christ. So, so again, you'll get this in the sermon today, union with Christ. What happens to your brother happens to Christ. You're doing this to Christ. Well, that changes things, doesn't it? Think about how often we can be judgmental and critical and try to tell people that they're in the wrong. And this just like makes me step back and just say, "Whew! Yes." One of one of the principles that I I think in philosophy of ministry, Danny and I both have. uh, We have the same theology, but Danny and I have a very close. Philosophy of ministry, and sometimes philosophy of ministry is is even more important than theology. But one of our philosophies of ministry is always lead with Scripture. And then behavior will follow. Don't leave just lead with the behavior. Hey, this is wrong. You got to do this. You got to do that. Help them to see from Scripture. See their, their conscience being formed from Scripture, and then the behavior begins to change. But don't lead with behavior. Lead with Scripture. Because you want people to do things out of a healthy obedience to Christ in the Scripture, not just because you have pressured them to do it.
1: <clears throat>
0: you want to add to that, Danny? You're very quiet, but that... That's, <laughs> I mean, that's something you don't see from us, but we, we met with four different, I met with four different couples to talk about church membership. And one of the things I said at the very end of that was, I hope that when you have come to this church, you have felt that we believe strong things, we have strong convictions, but we do not expect you to be exactly where we are right away. And in fact, um, we'll give you great latitude. Welcome you, you know, where you are. Let's talk about things. Let's keep working through this. But look, we're not pressuring you. But I wanted them to know that this was very purposeful and that if they were to become members in the next year or two years when they become kind of the established people in the church, I hope they will give the same latitude to those coming behind them. Because if they don't, guess what? People will come in and they'll say, I can't be like these people here and they just leave. But when you actually reach out to them and are okay with where they are, you're not, you're not changing your convictions, but you're also being very empathetic to where they are and helping them come along, it changes the ball game. It's wonderful. It's a good place to be.
1: It works in parenting too.
0: It works in parenting too, that's right. Which is, <laughs> I, this is one area I'm sure I probably failed many times, but as a parent, you want to just correct the behavior get it fixed, you know, correct that behavior, get them right, you know, and and then you're not really helping them to actually develop their own convictions and their own conscience and help, you know, there's a lot to that. So yeah, and we all fail in this. So I'll never forget the conversation that I had with your son, Drew, on whether or not uh, the correctness or non-correctness of playing airsoft uh, on Sunday afternoon, <laughs> and he wanted me, I mean, he wanted me to just say this was right or this was wrong, and he was so one of the direct, and I just, I wouldn't go there, <laughs> and I kept, you know, anyway, it, it's a long discussion you can ask about later, but, um, but uh, you have to help people to, to fight through things on their own in many of these situations, mm. Therefore, let's look at verse 13, closing this up. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat. Now, the stumbling here is not, it could be, I think, as, as Debbie was describing, you don't want them to be a temptation to fall into sin, get become drunk or whatever. So that could be a part of it. Um, but in this situation, it's not just that they would commit some sin, because that's what Debbie, this is, Cause them to go against their conscience, even in a way that's not sin. That's bigger than that. And that's what's confusing about this. But if that causes them to do that, you should not encourage them to do that. And he says, I'll never eat meat. Of course, he he does eat meat. So (laughs) he's just making the point. Um, Because how you care about the faith of your brother is what matters. That's important, as as important as being right, if not more. Now that doesn't confuse things. <clears throat> All right, you got a few minutes. I'm done with what I have to teach. So, questions or comments? Oh, <laughs> okay. I love it when he does that. <laughs> I keep
2: thinking about Laurie's example. Yep. Yeah. And it may well be, that as Paul speaks,
0: he's talking about brothers in Christ. Yes. It may well be that the Pates were the only Christians at that wedding. Yep. And so how do they balance their desire to minister to sharing the gospel in that situation? Why why wouldn't they refuse to make the prayer? Why wouldn't they make, uh, and I realize that's difficult, it's easy for me to say, and it would have been hard for them. But how how do you attack somebody that is speaking untruths is is what it amounts to. Well, and I think that's kind of what I said to the Pates is that um, I don't see any explicit sin that it's wrong for you to go do this. But I also respect the fact if you can't go do this, it's okay. Uh, but I tried to, it, what you're saying, kind of inform the conscience. This could be a good opportunity. And I think that's where Jim kind of piped in. I, I think I'm going to have a chance to pray. or you know. So th- exactly what you're saying, and as I counseled them, it, it was, but it was with the sensitivity of not just assuming that, um, and this, I'm, this is not an attack against Clark, but Clark's told us many times that, like, feelings are not his thing, right? You just know the truth, and that's it. Dr. <laughs> right. So, But I'm thinking more about her. Um, I think it was right for the, the Pates t- and for Lori to ex- uh, to expose to her son how difficult this was for her. That was a better attack than even just telling him you're going to hell. But, but I think just the fact that they could see in her that this was affecting her so poorly um, really, I think, did speak volumes to James. At the same time... Um, I just, as a counselor to the Pates, it is not right to take somebody else's gut feelings and dismiss them entirely. Laurie was struggling with this, and that's okay for her to struggle that way. And I guess that's what I'm you know, trying to get across, that, that especially as a counselor, because you know the truth, I, I know this is right, or not right, you just want to dismiss people's feelings, and I think that we should be much more sensitive to those feelings yeah, that's true. That's true. We're also called not to make those final judgments. Now, when we say judgments, I did in some sense make a judgment because I told her I didn't see any of this as blatant sin. So that's a, that's a judgment. But I didn't, also didn't judge her for having the struggle with this. So, yeah. You gave me permission to be upset.
1: That
0: gave her permission to be upset. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And maybe they did need to see mm-hmm. my conviction about my
0: belief, mm-hmm. which showed. But seeing all that, I was trying to love Lori, and Lori was trying to love James. Okay. You see how it's it's other focused and not just this is what's right. You're you know, <laughs> and and that's what can often happen in church settings. What's your problem? Why are you not like this? You know, we this is what's right. What's your problem? You know, and it just. It changes the whole dynamic. Go ahead, Lee. You got the last comment.
1: Mike, you've already erased it now, but we we had a circle with truth uh-huh. and a, a larger circle with love. Yep. And so to couch that, I mean, to let the love win in that example. Um,
0: this is again. Uh, I, I am a f- advocate of John Frame in this. Um, when he talks about truth or he talks about love, he says it always has a norm, it has a situation, and it has a heart. And all those need to be taken into consideration all the time. The, the, the people at the beginning who were the strong ones had their norm correct, but they really weren't considering the heart of the other person nor the situation. And uh, so Paul's trying to expand that to them. And uh, I think it's, it's just very helpful to do that. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well yeah. This is all this is all right, this is all God's uh, God's law, God's truth, God's norm. I'm gonna keep saying people people don't make their own norms. But it does it does help you understand that even within God's norm, what's coming out of your heart is taken into consideration of that. It's not just the norm. It's it's part of God's norm is looking the direction of your heart. And that that's expands, Norm, in my, in my thinking. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for this chapter. And uh, thank you for Paul, as difficult as he is to understand sometimes. Uh, thank you for him. And I pray that you'd help us as we go into the worship service today. Help us to care about truth. Help us to know our convictions. Help us to use those convictions. Uh, in our conversations with others, but help us to do it with gentleness and respect and caring about the faith uh, in the conscience of those we talk to. In Jesus' name, amen.